It's Football Friday! Yes, it's time again for Buddy Martin. Call him up and tell him what you're thinking. But be kind because he's doing the best he can. Better. Stronger. Faster. Mama says that alligators are ornery because they got all them teeth but no toothbrush. Hey! What if the voice calls while you're gone? Take a message. <laughs> Bye! I'm ready for this my whole life. I'm incapable of small talk. <laughs> but that's why you love me, right? Kind of intimidating to be in the presence of so many great athletes. Good morning and welcome to Football Friday. Hope you got the notification today. Remember, we are mornings on Friday. We go Monday through Thursday, 9 p.m. here on Facebook Live. You can catch us also at iTunes for our podcasts, as well as Stitcher, uh, TuneIn Radio, all over the place. Uh, And, of course, if you missed the show, it's always archived right here on Facebook Live. Because it's a morning show and some of you are not... Not quite awake, and some of you, and although right now it's 11 o'clock here out on the coast or wherever, or in China where we have a listener, uh, just let folks know we're up and live on the Buddy Martin Show. What a couple of days we've had here. I'm telling you what, a record number of people tuning in to the shows on Wednesday and Thursday night. I guess America loves controversy. I don't know. Inadvertently, really sort of unintended consequence of our shows with Edgar Thompson. I want to thank Edgar, by the way for a terrific job of being a stand-up guy and coming back on the next day to apologize for those he offended. <clears throat> As I said today in my post, I've never been more proud of the Gator Nation kingdom, and I won't pontificate here, but Brendan Martin, it was his idea, and myself founded this whole thing in January 2018 on the principles of harmony and inclusion uh, and for all Gator fans, and this is what it's about. So this is not a turf war. This is not anything that we're mad at anybody about. We're over it. I think Edgar has, uh, uh, has, has proven himself to be the man that I knew he was. And you folks came through in great style as well last night on the show. So thank you for that. We're often running now to talk. That's behind us. We're often now to run and talk about football. Today on the program, in just a moment, we'll talk to the voice of the Florida Gators, Mick Hubert. Yeah, Mick's going to come on and tell us about, among other things, his favorite moment, right? His favorite moment of all time in covering Florida, Georgia. I wonder what that would be. Any ideas? I got an idea. We'll see if it turns out that way. Uh, and uh, Mick, of course, doing the calls for 30 something years and uh, uh, well known to our community. We're going to call him in just a second. Followed by Gene Fredetta, a new name to you, some of you. He's the Times Union columnist of Jacksonville. <clears throat> and also, uh, we've got. Franz Beard, the Iron Duke later on. And we got part two of Tony Barnhart uh, in his talk, his, his conversation about the Florida-Georgia game, or as we call it now, the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. So uh, that's all coming up today. Uh, and we'll give you our quarterback club picks as well. But right now we're going to go see if we can get a hold of Mick, check in with him, and uh, see what he has to offer for himself today. He has an off weekend. We're making him work. My goodness, he sh- we should leave him alone. He has an open date, so um, I'm sure he'll be uh, available momentarily. Uh, that would be the voice of the Florida Gators for I, counting 30-something years. I'm going to let him tell us. Welcome to the program, Football Friday, Mick Hubert. How are you, Mick? Hey, buddy. I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I was just, I'm doing, I'm doing great. I was just saying, here you are. You have finally got an off week, open date, and here we are bugging you about doing the show. Apologize for that. <laughs> no problem. Hey, listen, uh, this is, uh, I don't have to tell you about the topsy turvy of the season. I, I was actually listening to my radio. I try to listen all the time because I, I, if I gotta ever get this TV and the sync up with the radio or listen on tune in, which I could do. Um, I was listening to you, uh, when, um, Felipe Franks threw the interception in the end zone, and I got to tell you, Mick, you were deflated, and so was I. 
I mean, your voice, <laughs> the, all the air left your lungs, and you, and you, and I could feel a sense of disappointment, like so many hopes and dreams and things, and now this interception. Uh, but, boy, it turned out differently, didn't it? Yeah, it really has. Uh, it's been a wonderful season, and uh, Felipe Franks has made great strides under Dan Mullen. And, you know, he's obviously not a complete quarterback, but from where he was a year ago, and he really his, his development almost mirrors the team's development because the, the resiliency, buddy, of this team this year has been just – just great to watch. It's not that you want to fall behind in every game. That's not really a recipe for a championship team. But by the same token, when you do get behind, they keep an even keel and they make the, they play the next down. And as a result, they they bounce back and had they rallied to win some games that, that, that we know they weren't going to rally to win those games last year. So uh, I can't say enough about the progress that Felipe has made and really – the team has made under Dan Mullen. It's been, it's been uh, like the cloud is lifted, and it's been such a breath of fresh air this year. We're just halfway through. I tell you, and we talked about this several times. It's just so much more fun to cover the Gators these days. We've been through a tough ten-year stretch, nine-year stretch, and I guess expectations have been so high. But now you have the opposite where you didn't expect all that much, and it's turned out to be like Christmas. You know, and it's, there's a certain joy in the Gator Nation uh, that I think we all kind of embrace, don't we? Yeah, really, because I was, you know, I tape all the games that I, I do, buddy. In fact, you mentioned tune in, and, and that's what I use. It, no matter where I'm at in the swamp around the road, I, I am recording uh, my broadcast via tune in mm-hmm. uh, because it has a record app uh, in that. And so I just record it right on site. So, I, you know, I record. I've been doing this 40 years now, now obviously with the digital technology we have. But the point being, I still air check myself all the time mm-hmm. to try and to try and just mm-hmm. get back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's not that I'm in love with my voice. In fact, a lot of times I, I, I shriek at my own voice and go, oh, man, there's more to call in the game. I'm listening to myself more and not so much in addition to calling the play right, but just the, the words – the diction, the phrasing, the grammar, the, the whole style. And a lot of times I come away thinking, you know, you called the play right. You called the play okay, but, you know, you, you just didn't have – you didn't do it right here. I, I'm trying to be my own worst critic on that. So when someone does criticize me, I, I, I want to have had that criticism within my own mind first. Now, that's not always possible, and sometimes people will criticize me, and, you know, that's their right, and I'll say – I'll think to myself – uh, that that's not really a valid criticism. Mm. That's your opinion. Uh, that's not. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not playing to that. But a lot of times you can criticize me. I'll say I'm already on it. I'm already aware of it. I need to improve this, that, or the mm. other. Those mm. kinds of things. And so uh, I'm recording the game, and you know, and, and and I'm trying to 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 listen to myself broadcast this game, and and it's been a lot more fun this year, obviously, than it has in the past, uh, the last three years, in, in, in particular. And, uh, you know, I mean, we have a long way to go with this team. This program is a couple of years of recruiting classes away. But it just points out, buddy, just how frail things are and the small margin of victory. Because let's face it, after we lost to Kentucky, there were a lot of people that were not certain that we were going to eclipse four wins from last year, like it was going to be another four-win season. Mm. And then there were some that thought, well, maybe, just maybe we can get to six. I don't know how we're going to get five more, but maybe we can get to six and get to a bowl. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, you, you go and beat uh, a somewhat mediocre team, let's face it, Tennessee, but you score the most points ever in school history in Knoxville 47. Mm. And now all of a sudden, oh, wow, really? Mm-hmm. And then it beat Mississippi State, didn't beat LSU, and now people are talking 10-11 wins. I mean, so yeah. things can change at heartbeat. Yeah. You know, that's why it is. It's, it's a week to week proposition. Isn't that the truth? It's even a half time to half time proposition in some cases. Yeah. Uh, well, that really leads me to the interesting things I want to ask you about, and not the least of which is self critique. Most people uh, who don't know you or don't know professionals, they're very concerned about how they measure up to themselves. You can't measure yourself against somebody else, so you measure up to yourself. Just like an athlete, did I do the best I could? Was I wrong here? Was I too harsh? Should I have said something? And that's great. That self-assessment is really a key to why you're the constant yeah. professional, in my opinion, is because you do that constantly. Let's talk about some of the things. when, Let's say when you thought you did a good job. What were you proudest of, even this season? Was there a moment? Well, I tell you what, now, 
when things were going really great and we experienced that in the LSU game, I mean, from the, from the Gainesville traffic on Thursday and Friday to game day to the entire uh, buzz in the stadium, uh, it, was, it, it was like, oh, my goodness. It, it was almost you couldn't hardly stand it. And I thought I stepped back and said, hey, this is the way it was all the time. You've forgotten. Mm-hmm. This is how it used to be. Yeah. And it got to the last couple of games that I couldn't hear myself, even my own headsets. And so it's a battle because, you know, we, really? have, we, have, a, we have a TV effects feed, so we're getting all the microphones blended in, plus what naturally comes through my open mic and Lee McGriff's open mic. And so sometimes we've got to turn everything off because we're still getting enough sound through the two open mics and I had to turn myself down at Mississippi State. Now, they have amplified music going in there, and it's crazy. But even in the swamp, I had to turn myself almost off. And it's extremely difficult to broadcast when you can't hear yourself. Mm. I mean, just you know, just try that. Just try and talk for 30 seconds or mm. for five minutes with both hands over your ears. You've got to concentrate doubly hard just to make sure you're saying what you think you're saying. And so I, I said to our producer, Steve Egan, I said, we gotta get, I gotta get some noise canceling earphones in here mm. because uh, too much sound is bleeding through my earphones. Uh, so I, I gotta be able to hear. I feed off all that other ambient noise. And so it's been, it, it, it's been different this year to do that, but that's the way it always used to be. Uh, we just gotten away from it. Plus, you know, my ears are 10, 15 years older <laughs> than they used yeah. to be also. So. Uh, but, but no, that self-critiquing is so, is so uh, important. In fact, uh, buddy, I, I went for a long walk, as I do in the morning. I went for a long walk, and I was listening to one of the games uh, that I did the other day. And, you know, I thought, yeah, you know, I could, I could have done this better. I could do this better. And it sounds, it sounds like to me at some point, it's, I said to myself, Mick, you're screaming. You're screaming all the time. <laughs> and I think, well, you know, you're trying to heal yourself. Uh, and so the mix has got to be a little bit better between the play-by-play voice and the ambient sound, and, because you don't want to you don't want to uh, harm your voice, your vocal mm-hmm. cords, because you're because you're screaming. Some plays warrant you to get more excited. But mm-hmm. I felt I was just I'm screaming too much too often, and that's not really how I want to do it. So <laughs> I want energy, energy and enthusiasm, but I don't I don't need to be a crazy man the whole time. And so I thought to myself as I was walking, Mick, you need to go back into your box of tapes, and you need to go back to listen to one of my favorite announcers of all time the late Joe McConnell, who was the voice of the Chicago Bears during the Walter Payton era. This is going back to the 70s and 80s, and I got tapes of Joe McConnell. I said, you need to go back to listen to him. You need to go back to listen to Dick Enberg. You need to go back to listen to Don Crickey, who did Notre Dame for years and years and years. And so you've got to go back and listen to the pacing and all that because, you know, those games were big. Mm -hmm. Those games were huge back in the 70s. I'm talking about a Rams-Cowboys playoff game that I got with Dick Enberg calling for the L.A. Rams. I mean, those are big games, and so even though it was 30, 40 years ago, it was, and I, I got to go back and recapture some of the, the mood and some of the essence of that, because that's how I grew up listening to those kind of guys. And, you know, it's one thing to do down and distance and uh, you know, all that stuff, and that's all basic, fundamental stuff, but there's more to painting the picture and describing it and getting the audience on an emotional roller coaster. And that's some of the technical stuff of the trade. But your point is, yeah, I still take myself, I still go back and listen to the old guys doing it 30, 40 years ago. And I'll tell you one thing that, that is, is frustrating to me, really, you know, on radio today is Don Crickey, who did Notre Dame football for years and years and years, and then stepped away, and then I think Al Wester came on, and, and then Don came back and did Notre Dame football until he retired. Don's about 77 years old, something like that. Still got a great voice today. And he was at NBC on a CBS national sure. TV sportscaster. Well, when they, when, when, when they go to hire the replacement for Don Crickey, they hire a guy who had never done play-by-play before. I mean, I, I don't know the guy. I, I, I don't mean to be critical of the guy. I'm thinking, you're, you're replacing a legend in Don mm. Crickey, and you've never called a game. And this is not, uh, you know, this is not some rummy Division three program. This is Notre Dame on a mm. national TV or, or a national radio audience. Mm-hmm. He has no play-by-play experience. I'm going... You know, you know, it's almost like I've said sometimes, you know, you think that you can train a monkey to do this and, uh, you know, just, just give the, some people all they want is the, is the, uh, is the score and the, the time and the score in the inning. Yeah. And if you can give them that, that's all they want. Well, monkeys can't talk though. We know that. <laughs> so, I, dig, I know I what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. You see, you covered so much there. And, and like you said, you have to get the mick. Uh, the mix right. I thought, well, Mick and the mix. Got to get Mick and the mix right. So you got two mix to take care of. And, and, you know, you're always looking to, you know, the next moment while it's time to stay in the moment. Uh, and I'm getting a number of questions online here for you about, you brought up a really interesting point. 
uh, which I think is worthy of mention to the regional, if not national media, that it's so loud now for Florida football that Mick has a hard time hearing. You know, that's an indication of something right there, you know, that I think with a return to the days of when the swamp was loud and now even on the road, as you say, the cowbells, mm-hmm. what have you. And so, and your level of your enthusiasm, obviously you're more amped up, and yet you have to sec, you have to check yourself not to get too emotional and too involved. But right. Nick, I can listen to the game and listen to your voice and tell how badly or how good they're, they're playing because you ebb and flow, which I like, uh, with the team. Uh, and getting back to your moment when you thought you had the moment or let's say your best, your favorite call of the year, uh, so far, what would it be? Uh, you know, <laughs> I think probably the Mississippi State game of about a minute ago when mm. we sent the safety blitz in there, mm. Donovan Steiner. Wow, what a moment. Donovan Stinger, Donovan Stinger Steiner now. <laughs> Stinger he Steiner. ran in there, you know, and, and I said, you know, he, he blew him up mm-hmm. and uh, he knocked him right he out did. of the ballpark. Yeah, that was and, good. <laughs> you know, that was a call that went went uh, viral and a lot of things do nowadays, yeah. you know, and all that. But uh, when, when, when Coach Mullen said, He'd listen to it, and then when and Megan uh, Mullen had said, Dan listens to that play on his phone all the time, I'm going, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't think the last coach ever heard anything I ever called. He didn't know you did radio. radio. <laughs> uh, you know, so that was a big one. And then obviously yeah. Brad Stewart, uh, you know, New Orleans yeah. native, wow. um, getting a pick six against Joe Burrow. Hmm. We've had some tremendous, Boy, some good ones. tremendous play calls. Uh, Left-handed uh, play not, calls. Not, not, yeah. not by me, but I mean, by play calls on right. the field that have lent itself to some exciting radio moments. Well, that, that's for sure. Uh, let, let's just digress a moment and go back. to how, What number is this for you for Florida, Georgia? Well, this is my 30th year. Okay, I saw you around 30th remember, is what I thought, yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember the first one in 1989, the Gators had the lead and lost the game. And I can't tell you how many people said to me, Boy, Mick, you've experienced the essence of Florida, Georgia, because there's so many times we've had the lead and we've lost the lead to Georgia, and it's always wait till next year. And we waited till the next year, and that's when Steve came in. And uh, as we know, things change. And it may have been a story, even in one of the books that you wrote, uh, about how uh, the, the older players had talked about how they had uh, kind of harassed the freshmen. You know, just freshman hazing and all of that. Right. And Steve said, you know, we're not, we're not going to – coach, coach, that's that's one of our traditions. And Steve said, well, you know what, we got another tradition around here that's going to stop too. <laughs> yeah. Losing to Georgia. That's true. <laughs> that's one of the great yeah. stories. Yeah, that is true. He's, he was his great – it's great to see him back in the game again and coaching. Uh, a, a couple questions, if you don't mind, from the listeners are now online. Uh, sure. One of them wants sure. to know – Rowdy wants to know, uh, was the LSU game the loudest it has been in a while? Yeah, it was. It it, it was. Uh, I remember it being pretty enthusiastic in the uh, the previous sellout, which was three years prior that mm-hmm. Ole Miss game on that Saturday night when uh, Will Greer was quarterback and we beat him thirty eight to ten. That was a pretty uh, raucous place. Mm-hmm. But I think I think this one was was more, and uh, uh, we had a string of one hundred and twenty seven consecutive sellouts. Uh, come to an end. I think it's 127, or it may have been 137, but it came to an end, buddy, in mm-hmm. 2011. Yeah. And so probably in the last, uh, uh, is 137, 137 games in a row. Now you figure the, do the math, six, mm-hmm. seven home games a year. Wow. That was over 20 years of consecutive sellouts. Um, and probably in the last seven years, I think we've had obviously less than seven sellouts. So that's been the loudest it's probably been in, in probably almost a decade, probably since the 09 Tebow season. Mm-hmm. Probably. Yeah, uh, and people want to know, and, and what was the loudest game at the Swamp? We've had discussions. I know I know, 97 FSU had to be one of the loudest. Mm-hmm. Uh, people were comparing uh, the uh, the interception at the end of the game, uh, uh, LSU yeah. as being the loudest ever. What is your, what is your, what do your ears tell you? When is the loudest the Swamp has ever been? Well, uh, yeah, I think probably 97 would probably be there. That's the first time the first time that I uttered the phrase, this place is an insane asylum. And I've used it two or three times since. In fact, I used it uh, the last LSU game when I said, yes, indeed, this place is an insane asylum. That wasn't an original call by me. It was a re- reprise over something I said initially 21 years prior. Uh, I do remember uh, from, from my tenure here, uh, the first, if I can put this in quotes, the first lo- uh, loudest crowd goes back to when they expanded the north end zone. 
My first year in 1989, we didn't have the end zone there, and then we did in 90. But the first loudest crowd would have been when Florida beat Tennessee in 1991, and Larry Kennedy had the interception against Tennessee. And that was a, a, I think it was a night game in the 91 season, which would have been the second year of the completion of the North End Zone. That was the loudest I'd ever heard the Swamp. Mm-hmm. But that's probably been surpassed because back in those days, uh, we, we probably were not quite at 90,000, even though we haven't done any more stadium expansions since then. Uh, I think it got louder for 97 and uh, obviously some of those Tebow games and those national championship years. So, so tell me always. again, I, I missed what you said. What was the game that you, you think was the loudest? Which one? Well, 97. 97. 97 FSU. Florida State was probably Yeah, yeah, I think so, that's, too. That's, yeah. That's, that's when I said the insane asylum of the swamp. That's the famous uh, that quote. Was, yes. Yeah, and, and, and now, of course, it was pretty loud in the, in the year. And that may have been 95 when we rallied from down at the half to Tennessee and beat them. Mm, that was with, a loud uh, one, too, yeah. 48 unanswered points, 62-37. Yeah, for sure. Crazy there. So, yeah. But those, those, that's, that's, that was the, that was the, the norm. Uh, that was the that was the way it was back in those days. Yes. People said, "Oh, really? Your memory's losing. You're losing it. But your memory wasn't like that. It really was. It yeah. really was. It really was. I agree because, with you. Because yeah. we were all on that magic carpet ride. Weren't we? Oh I mean, man. You know, to obviously have the '84 title stripped away. And yeah. The, and then Steve comes along. The best record in '90. That was great. And then yeah. officially win it in '91, and then repeat it in '93, '94, '95, '96. This was a rapid ascent. Exactly. And so every year was getting better. Exactly. All right, one more for you, Mick. I could keep you on here about an hour and a half, you know, but we, you never get anything okay. done, and I gotta, I've got to let you go because you got things to do. But <clears throat> let's talk about Florida, Georgia, the moment for you, uh, and then a quick assessment of where this team stands right now. All of a sudden, a game that was a no hoper for the Florida Gators four weeks ago is a winnable game. First, your moment in Florida, Georgia, that you recall the call that you made, the one you remember the, the most. Yeah, that, that's a hard one to call, but that really is because I just know this. Uh, since since Steve came around in 1990 and changed the the direction of the series in Florida's favor, it's been victory after victory after victory. Mm-hmm. But I do remember how how badly I felt after we lost, and I think it was the '97 game uh, when 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 Jim Donnan was there and they got us that one year. That felt terrible because we had been. We had won about seven or eight in a row, right? And uh, that, that didn't feel too good. But I guess one of the more famous games for me to remember was in '93, and that's when uh, it was a it was a rain and a quagmire on the field, and uh, and and Danny complained that he really couldn't get a good grip on the ball, and, and, and Steve said, "Well, let's put Terry Dean in there then." And what he did was he put basically put Terry Dean in there to hand the ball off to Eric mm-hmm. Brett because Brett ran it 41 times and uh, sloshed his way to like 140-some yards or whatever. And, and that was a tight game there. Uh, that was really – that was that was a tough one because it was just an yeah. onslaught of rain. And uh, I remember that one vividly. Uh, I think maybe in the game – might have been the game before, the year before that, 92. I, I mm-hmm. could have been 92 when, when Judd Davis, I think, kicked four field goals mm, in, yeah. in a sloppy track. Oh, uh, mud, think, yeah. I'll get a place kicker. I'll get a place kicker, get footing. And Judd was – Really? Just you got it all, four yeah. Four of them through the offense. Yeah. yeah, one caller says the timeout game, Urban Meyer was uh, one, but that was, you know. And lock. Yeah. Got the timeout called. He was clearly visible on the videotape. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I think it, that was the year. Also, this is interesting. As I went back some years later and rewatched them, and I did this when Will Muschamp was here. I went back and watched that game again. And at the very end of that game, it was quite, quite amazing to see Will Muschamp wearing that Georgia uniform put his arms around Terry Jackson, and Terry put his arms around Will Muschamp, and here's a Florida-Georgia guy walking off the field armed in arm because hmm. they played Pop Warner football together wow. in Gainesville 10 years earlier. What a moment, what and, a moment. That, I did that because now Will Muschamp was our coach. In, I think it was like That's 2011 cool. or 2012. That's cool. That Look at it. Yeah, in 93-94, here's, here's Will and Terry walking off the field. That's armed. awesome. Long-time buddies. Well, he's Mick Hubert. You know that voice, and we'll be listening to him a week from Saturday, as we like to do, and uh, you and Lee did a terrific job. Thanks for spending some time with us, Mick. I hope we'll get a chance to do it again later this year. And who knows, maybe it'll be uh, after a win over the Bulldogs. You never know. Well, we, we got a chance, and again, as I said, week-to-week deal. I mean, yeah. Georgia's a pretty good football team, and I, I've done some of the prep work, not all of it, but some of it this week, and their numbers are very, very similar to last year's numbers. And all of a sudden, because they lost one game 
in Baton Rouge to a hungry, angry LSU team. A lot of Georgia people are now questioning, oh, my gosh, oh, boy. Oh. Yeah. They're still really good. Yeah. And the Gators got to play really well to beat them. But we got a chance. Got and, a meaningful uh, game. On a piece. Yeah. This is going to be quite a game in eight days. Both ranks, and it's going to be fun. Hey, Mick, thanks so much for spending the time with us. I appreciate Buddy, it very always, much. Thank you. All thank right. you so much. See you in the swamp. Thanks. Or see you in Jacksonville. <laughs> All right, that's it's good stuff. I like that. I like that him talking about how, uh, you know, it's uh, it's so loud that he can't hear. Thanks very much. We'll take this time out real quick, and we'll come back, and we'll hear from uh, Gene Fredette. we got Tony Barnhart coming up, and we've also got uh, uh, the Iron Duke standing by, who will be joining us in, in a moment uh, to give us his picks, and we got some picks to talk to you about. No one ever plans a car accident. Having a plan after you've been in one, however, can make a world of difference. Daniel L. Hightower has been fighting for accident victim justice in Ocala and statewide since 1976. After meeting with Dan and his team, you'll know your case matters, that you matter, and that Dan will fight hard to get you just results. If you've been severely injured through no fault of your own by a careless or reckless driver, you need Daniel L. Hightower. Since 1976, I want to tell you about Renstar Medical Research. Just ahead of Gene Frenette, at Renstar Medical Research, of course, does great things to the community. As you see, our uh, Scott Bentley Trophy Award winner this week, Renstar Star of the Week. Congratulations to Chemo Clark. Also, a superior medical research facility with a proven reputation. It's a high-quality clinical research uh, team. Renstar Medical Research brings cutting-edge clinical research trials to Ocala in areas like Alzheimer's uh, disease, psoriasis, osteoarthritis, migraine, and fibromyalgia, along with many other conditions that affect our community. You can call them today to find out how to get involved in the trials. Uh, call them at 352-629-5800 or log on to uh, rentstar.net and check it out when they say Rentstar Medical Research, what they mean by seeking tomorrow's answers to the health questions of today. All right, let's see if we can get a hold. No one ever plans a car accident. Having a plan after you've been in one, however, can make a world of difference. Daniel L. Hightower has been fighting for act. All right. <clears throat> right now, we're going to take you to this and see if we can't uh, get in the place we need to be. It's playing tricks on us this morning. Give a call to Gene Frenette. Hope your Friday's going well. Uh, it's going well here, except for a few little miscues by the operator. That would be me. So, uh Let's stand by and see if we can get a hold of Gene Frenette uh, uh, and uh, check it out with him. Listen, uh, I, I don't know what the line is. You guys know, put it up there. I think Florida, Georgia, which is a little earlier, obviously, uh, is uh, is going to be about a touchdown. That's my recollection. Do you think it should be more or less? And do you like the Gators if they, in fact, get more than a touchdown. You got to think about them there, and maybe some people even like them straight up. You never know. Uh, it's going to be interesting, and what, like Mick said, it's a meaningful game. It's a competitive game, uh, and um, it's a game which uh, we can get our blood pumping again, right? On this one, as if the season hadn't given us enough blood to pump, it certainly has been doing that. <clears throat> so. Um, uh, and, of course, it's always a big one in Jacksonville, and actually the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Uh, for some reason or another, I've gotten uh, Gene Frenette has gotten calls from me all day, but this oh. is the, this would be the voice of Gene Frenette of the Florida Times Union. Gene, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, buddy. How, are, how about you? Good. Good to talk to you. Sorry we went a little, little long there. Mick Huber got excited <laughs> about some of the games <laughs> he's called this year. He was just telling me that uh, – 
it's been the noises have been so deafening it's been hard to hear sometimes so yeah it's kind of like the old days gene you covered this team back in the day and i was asking mick about the loudest day of the swamp i don't know what your recollection is but uh, mine was the 97 fsu game and that's what he said too uh, you've been there a bunch what's the loudest moment you remember in the swamp i remember this very distinctly um playing bama when i can't remember what year it was sometime in the 90s and it was a very defensive struggle type game it was like i want to say the gators led like three to nothing in the second half if you can believe that and now the gators pulled away from them at the end but i remember in the third and fourth quarter of that game thinking to myself uh it, it was it's the only time that i've ever really covered florida the two times where I thought the stadium, the noise, the decibel level caught my attention was that Alabama game, and I'm, I'm, I'm remiss to remember what year it was. Whatever year Florida won something like 30 to 6 or something like that. But well, it was Spurrier's first, first year, maybe, was it? I don't know. That was a game. That was, no, that was, he was, that game was in Alabama. So that I don't know when that would be. Yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. And the one other game that I always remember, and maybe it wasn't so much for the loudness of it as it was the scene after the game, and that was uh, when they beat Southern Cal in Gainesville and Charlie Tull mm. led the parade of players yeah. all around the stadium. Yeah. Those are the two games that stand out in my mind for, uh, Crowd atmosphere, crowd noise. Yeah, uh, let's let's talk about uh, let's talk about the big game. And uh, by the way, just so you know, we've reverted back to it. We're calling it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I understand the political correctness and why they did it years ago and the policies that were passed. But in my opinion, that's a tradition. Look, some people abuse alcohol. Okay, that's just how it is. And I know they don't want to glamorize alcohol, but still. Nothing wrong with a good cocktail party. Nothing wrong with calling it what it really has been because it's a celebration of football and a border war at the same time. So we're calling it the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. And I know up there there's an argument about whether it's Florida, Georgia, or Georgia, Florida, depending on who you talk to. What do you call it, Gene Frenette? Uh, I usually kind of call it the Georgia-Florida game, but I'm okay with the world's largest outdoor cocktail party because mm-hmm. I think it's it's part of you can't write the history of the Georgia-Florida game without referencing yeah. the world's largest outdoor cocktail. Yeah, party. I agree. Okay, and uh, and it also pays homage to a friend of mine, Bill Castells, and uh, yeah. I just think that, uh, you know, hey, not every cocktail, has, does a cocktail have to have alcohol in it? Can you have a cocktail without having alcohol? Yeah, you have a Virgin Mary, right? Okay, there you go. Yeah, so, so yeah. I mean, Listen, Shirley Temple, for that matter. Somebody gets offended by you know. I get it. I, you know, I know what happened in the eighties, yeah. and, and some of that was very obviously not a good reflection on the game and some of the behavior. But I mean, I, I mean, my goodness, it, that's part of Georgia Florida lore, Florida Georgia lore, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it. And, yeah, uh, uh, I'm fine with you resurrecting it. Yeah, well, good. Uh, and and uh, speaking of which, funny you mentioned Bill Castells. Because, and I mean this in a good way, I, I, I think, you know, Gene's been there so long, and you have, and you don't see that much anymore, uh, and, and you, 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 you're, you're the modern-day Bill Castells, and I mean that in a positive way. So you've well, been there I, and seen that. I don't know that I carry the cachet that Bill Castell did, but I appreciate the sentiment. <laughs> yeah, well, good for you for, for sticking it in there and hanging in for your community and doing all these years. So when I reference the Florida-Georgia game, other than Mick Huber, who's called 30, and you've been there longer than that, uh, you know, you, you are the, I hate to say historian, that's what they call me because I'm old, uh, but but you, you kind of know the history of this game. And, and, you know, and it's lost none of its luster. And we've got what might be, I'll, I'll stop short of calling it epic because we don't know the outcome. we got what could become one of the best ever, depending on the outcome and which side you're on. This game has got uh, gravitas all of a sudden. Yeah, uh, the one thing that I, that I always look, I, I always like to see in Georgia Florida, and I, I, you know, I, mean, I know a lot of people don't, don't always believe that. I honestly don't care who wins the game. I really don't. Right. What I want to see is a good game. I want, I, I, want to, I want to see a lot of back and forth. And speaking of back and forth, and I, I'm probably going to write about this possibly for our, our mm-hmm. special session. One of the things that you, if you look back at the history of the Georgia-Florida game, there aren't many long coaching rivalries in the game. There may be two. Uh, 
Wally Butts and Bob Woodruff spent the entire 1950s coaching against each other in that game. Uh, Vince Dooley and um, not Ray Graves, the guy that came after Doug Dickey, mm-hmm. uh, went head to head nine years. I'm kind of hoping that uh, Dan Mullen and Kirby mm-hmm. Smart have. I'd like to see those guys have that yeah. kind of run. Good point. For the next ten years, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I just you know, it's just to me that's what makes rivalries interesting. And to me, uh, you know. I, I found the worst part of the rivalry, and I know the Florida fans are going to feel the opposite during the Spurrier years because there was no rivalry. Boring. <laughs> Nobody put up a fight against against Spurrier. You know, mm-hmm. Spurrier got Georgia coaches fired, is what he did. <laughs> yeah. I like. I like. To, I'd like to see. You know, it's the same thing with like Ohio State and Michigan. I thought one of the things I thought when Harbaugh and Meyer kind of both started out of. Around the same time, I thought, gosh, it's going to be a great rivalry. Well, it hasn't been so far. Urban's gotten the, the better of the deal. Mm-hmm. I, I like to see back and forth between two great coaches, which is what you had when Woody Hayes and Bo Schembechler uh, were at. And that's what I'd kind of like to see yeah. with Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart. Well, well, the Gator Crow, fans will remember this. They won't like it, but the truth is that in Bowden's at Florida State and Spurrier was at Florida, there was some, and although Bowden wound up with an edge on Spurrier, those were some of the best. That, that at one point, I could have made a case of that being the best rivalry in the country at that time. It didn't have the history of Michigan State, uh, Ohio, uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and all that. But at that point, those games, uh, Spurrier just points out FSU was in the top five every year. Spurrier's winning the SECs, and they were going hammer and tong at it. And at that point, I think that's as good a rivalry as Florida ever had. Don't you? Yes. Um, you know, you got. Uh, Combined three national championships uh, between them. Uh, who knows how many conference championships? It mm. might be something like twenty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, yeah, that was those were epic days. And of course, you know, there was the you know playing to the echo of the whistle controversy. Yeah, and, boy, national championship game. game yeah. You know, I mean, it, it had all the colorful elements, and you had you know probably two of the top five or six greatest college football coaches of all time right. going head-to-head in that game. Right. Uh, and what a great, uh, you know, and I can take you back to other the FSU uh, series way back in the day when there was the Ray Graves, uh, Bill Peterson, uh, never say never, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But in terms of a national scope, uh, that Spurrier team versus, versus Bowden's FSU team, that was as good as it got. Let me ask you a couple of quick questions before I let the time get away, and I find myself going blowing the whole next break. Uh, Gene, uh, let's talk about uh, let, let's talk about this game coming up, and about let's take the Florida angle and the fact that uh, Dan Mullen uh, has done nothing short of a remarkable job to this point. What happens? To his career and his place in history, if he marches in there and the, what's it called now? Not ever bank anymore. What's it called? TIAA Bank Field. Whatever that bank thing is. TIAA Bank. I'm sorry. I don't mean to be ignorant about it. I just this changed. If they go in, if he goes there and beats Georgia now, what does that do to his career? He's got to be the hottest coach in the country right now. Yeah, it would be. It's really unbelievable the job that he's done. And here's where, and it also speaks to what, uh, I've always felt, you know, people get all caught up in recruiting. They get caught up in, you know, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. get this yeah. three star yeah. here, four star here, five sure. star here. And that's all well and good mm-hmm. to get the guys with the stars by their name. But I'm telling you, and this is something college football fans do not pay attention to. What matters more than anything in, re- in recruiting is getting a kid who is coachable, getting a kid who has uh, a symbiotic relationship with the coaching staff where he can develop. And I feel that that's what Dan Mullen and this coaching staff have done here. They've taken a group of kids, and, you know, some of them are really, you know, have had a lot of are highly advertised, well-hyped guys, other guys, maybe not so much. But he's taken the team and made it better than the sum of no the parts. No doubt. And that's what a coach's job is to mm-hmm. do. And, uh, you know, did we see that coming after the Kentucky game? Eh, no. Maybe not. No, I'd say but, no. Unequivocally, no. But that, yeah. to me, is, is, is a credit to Dan Mullen yeah. that he's been able to help this team mm-hmm. elevate itself 
right? After what was a very significant setback, and I'm sure had the fan base uh, being very uh, skeptical right. about whether he was going to be able to bring them back. No doubt. I got 30 seconds. Tell me what the temperature is now, not down the thermometer, but in terms of this game in Jacksonville, and what's it like to, likely to be like about a week from now. Well, the temperature for the game Sunday, with the, where the Jaguars are playing the Texans, is well, going to be about yes. 75. Yeah. So, well, how about the football I'm, temperature for the Florida-Georgia game? I meant, what is the temperament? Yeah, I know you did. I know you did. <clears> I'm, yeah. not, I, I'm not one of these guys who, who uh, looks at what the weather's going to be a week right. from now. I'm just hoping it'll be about 68. That'd okay. be great. All right. But, uh, you know, the fans are going to be at a fever mm-hmm. pitch for this one because there's a lot of, you know. A lot I mean, of stake. Hey, listen, the winner of this game is going to, in all, has uh, probably got about an 80% chance of winning the SEC East, or in Georgia's case, maybe more than that, you know. So, well, actually, I think Florida won the SEC East, too, because, uh, you know, Kentucky's still got to play Georgia. Right. So there's going to be another loss for one of those guys. Right. So, uh, uh, I think whoever wins this game is going to be playing, likely going to be playing Alabama. Unfortunately, there's the good, news. <laughs> good news and bad news, you know, on that one for sure. Yeah. Hey, Gene, no, thanks. Nobody saw that coming a month ago. Exactly. So. Gene, thank you so much for being on. We'll get you on again if you're available sometime. Appreciate it. Enjoy this Jaguar games, and we'll see you up at the, what is it, okay, TIAA right. Bank? Is that the name of the field? TIAA Bank? TIAA Bank. That's okay, right. thank you, Gene. Gene Frenette from the Fourth Time Union. Thank you very much. All right, Franz Beard's wondering, where are we? And we're going to go right to him in just one second. <clears throat> we got Tony Barnhart, which we got to get on before the day is over, so we'll have to get that on, too. Uh, <clears throat> and let me get this in real fast to you and tell you about Center State Bank, <clears throat> which, of course, is our <clears throat> our bank and uh, our sponsor, which we're thankful for. Center State Bank, of course, is um, known for its uh, community involvement. Also, it's a bank that values things like um, – Core values and relationship banking, faith and family, uh, world-class service, long-term horizons on their financial. And by the way, great chocolate chip cookies if you go by there. My bank's located the one above here over on Silver Springs Boulevard in Ocala. You can go to centerstatebank.com and get the one closest to you. There are 82 locations in 30 Florida counties. Uh, log on to SilverStateBank.com. Find out what's near you. This one is Silver Springs Boulevard in Ocala. Call 352-368-6800. Center State Bank, centered on community and customer service. Um, I want to also say that I'll be eating here tonight. Mm-mm, no, not there, but I'll be eating at Mark's. This is a Mark Prime commercial. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is not the commercial, but you get the picture. And the fact is, this is where we'll be tonight. We'll be over at Mark's, uh, and we'll uh, we'll be dining on some terrific. No one ever plans a car accident. Having a plan after you've been in. Uh, the other, yeah. So uh, we will uh, get back to this and see if we can get a hold of Franz Beard. Check him out, and we'll be at Mark's Prime tonight, uh, dining over there, uh, and uh, we will uh, be eating some good food at a good place. This is the ambiance there. You can check it out. Mark says two locations to serve you. If you want to go there, uh, you can call locally, uh, Gainesville 352-336-0076, and Ocala 352-402-0097. They have complimentary uh, valet parking there, and they have terrific food and terrific Service. It's a place, the ambiance you're going to love because, uh, you know, it's a place you go and you feel good about being there. And they take pride in their unique dining experience. So you want to be sure and check that out for a special evening. Mark's Prime, located in Ocala and Gainesville. Log on to MarksPrimeSteakhouse.com and find out what I mean by unique dining experience. You'll be glad you went. All right. We're going to see if we can get a hold of Francis Beard. I know he's waiting for us. And, uh, He's waiting to talk about those poodles. He uh, he hates them some Georgia, I'll tell you what. Uh, and later on, we'll be able to get a hold of, get the, pay our interview with Tony Barnhart as well. So, on a football Friday. Uh, good to hear from Mick. That was good stuff for the Mick. Um, he would be Iron Duke himself, Franz Beard. Uh, and he joins the program on a football Friday. I'm sure, even though the Gators have an open date, 
France will be grinding away on the television set, won't you, Francis? Well, I guess Francis is not going to answer today, too. This is my day for this kind of stuff. Well, we'll try him again. Francis, are you there? Are you there, Francis? Hello. All right, France, I'm going to have to dial you again, buddy. Apologize, folks. They're playing tricks on me today, you know, again. It's one of those things where uh, we seem to have you having problems with our... Uh... All right, see if we can get France here. Hopefully you can hear me. Mm-hmm. Hello? All right, Francis, I think I got you this time. I don't see you yet, but I think you'll pop up. Can you hear me okay? I hear you just fine. All right. I'm not seeing you yet, but anyway, I've got you here. Uh, there you are. Yeah, there's that good-looking mug there. Francis <laughs> Beard, the Iron Duke. How are you, my friend? Uh, it's Friday, and there's no football this weekend that the Gators watch, so I get to pull against a lot of people. Oh, okay. Watch, I get to watch people I hate and pull for the other team. Oh, the other side. All right. Well, anybody in particular you want to mention? Uh, let's see. Uh <laughs> We got those people out uh, out west. We got uh, you know uh, you know in, in Tallahassee. You know they they get Wake Forest Gump, and I'm pulling for Wake Forest Gump this weekend. I'll give you some games to even pick here in just a minute, and that way you can do. Since I don't have anybody to pick against except my quarterback club buddies. I'll uh, I'll get uh, I'll get you to do some picking. Uh, anything new? Has I haven't talked to you since Monday. Uh, you know we needed a little break there. Now we're counting it down. I've had some good guests this week. After I talked to you, Mick Hubert was just on talking about uh, the fact that he thinks that it, it's so loud in the swamp he has a hard time hearing himself. So loud calling games. Mississippi State was so loud. So we had the discussion about you and I have talked about this already, uh, but we had a discussion about. Uh, you know, uh, which is the loudest game. I think we both agree it was FSU 97. That's what Mick said. What were your thoughts about that? Uh, in the swamp, uh, I think personally it was FSU 91. 91, hmm? Yep. Uh, even though the, the stadium was a lot smaller. It, it was, was smaller, smaller, yeah. Then mm -hmm. uh, that 14 to 9 game, uh, it was so loud that everybody I know had their hands over their ears and their ears still hurt. Hmm. I'll be darned. Uh, great, probably the best defensive game that's ever been played in the Swamp. Uh, you know, uh, wasn't decided, you know, the last play, you know, like next to the last play of the game, uh, there was a, you know, Casey Weldon makes a throw into the end zone trying to hit amply, and a double ricochet in Florida ends up uh, – ends up with the ball and you know absolutely great the 97 game would be probably my second and then the third would be uh the the field goal uh gets hit and two, gets tipped by jarvis moss in in uh 2006. Yeah, that was that. I think that was right up there with FSU because I, I was there and on the field, so I can tell you that it really was loud down there as you were. So that was amazing. But those those would be my my top mm -hmm. three. My the loudest place I've ever uh, place I've ever been on the road, without a doubt, was. Um, Alabama 2005 and LSU uh, 2007. Uh, 2007, I wasn't in Alabama, but I can tell you. Well, we know we told the story too many times already about how many people were there. Uh, 80,000 in the stadium and probably another 80,000 on the outside, whatever. Uh, and, and it was such a loud, and there were so many close plays. that We remember there were five times that the hat went for it on fourth down and made it including the game-winning drive, uh, Jacob Hester's run for the, to ice the clock. So, yeah, that was it. Uh, so um, it feels like uh, it feels like everything has gone right for Mullen. And we've said this a bunch of times, so I know it sounds like a uh, cliche, but ever since he got off the plane chomping, he's made all the right calls. A couple of hiccups here and there along the way, Kentucky being one of them. Turns out Kentucky didn't really hurt him. Kentucky made him better. 
So consequently, and again, friends, we've covered every possible theme. I was thinking today, if I put all the things down on a piece of paper that have happened in seasons, you can go through the play call, you can go through the interceptions, you can go through all of it, that improvement of the offensive line, which you've talked about a lot since the beginning. You can talk about a kid named um, uh, Brad Stewart, who a lot of people didn't know, unless they followed recruiting, and I didn't, uh, that he, he pops up out of nowhere. His name wasn't even mentioned the first three weeks, or two weeks of the season, and now he's on the so-called mid-year, mid-season All-American team of Sports Illustrated. I question that, but there's other guys who are better. But nonetheless, there's been some surprises, and 95% of them have been positive. And I know we've covered this a lot, but one more time, as we counted down toward the, the Florida, Georgia, our world's largest outdoor cocktail party, what's the one thing that will resonate the most about this team that will be one of the hallmarks of the 2018 squad? Well, it, you know, it, it's going to sound kind of a mundane thing, kind of a, you know, uh, one one of one of these things like get, it's like getting I guess socks and underwear for Christmas you know <laughs> it's nice that people thought about you and you got something you can use but it's not you know, there's not a lot of it it's, it doesn't exactly stir the imagination but I, the thing that I'm going to remember about this is is that we've seen improvement constant steady improvement it's it hasn't been spectacular in any shape or form, but it has been steady. And, and, and in the steadiness that we're seeing, we're seeing a very good football team evolve from what wasn't going to be a good football team after week two. After week two, we're sitting there and, and we're not the only ones who are thinking, you know, can these guys make it to six and six? And now we're looking at the possibility of uh, ten and two, eleven and one. It's entirely possible, um, but it couldn't have been possible except, you know, what's that old saying? You got to walk before you run. Well, you know, they keep walking, they keep walking, they keep walking. Now all of a sudden they're they're trotting, you know. And who knows? They you know, if they beat Georgia, it's a dead sprint to the to the end of the season. Good point. And, and I think when you expand your mind and you think about what's possible, to come from where we all were 10 months ago, which yeah. is, you know, I mean, it was like shambles, to come to this point in time now where this is all things are possible, including, as ludicrous as some, it would have said this sound to say that six months ago, a possible run of the table to win, to get to the national championship game, uh, you know, and that is even in play. To say something like that would have been insane six months ago, and yet here we are, and we're talking about it. Well, exactly, and and one of the things I think that that we tend to overlook, buddy, is that each game and and the development we see in players, and each game with the progress that's being made and the improvement that's being made. If you think back, it really makes you understand and realize just how bad things were here uh you know just exactly how bad that Jim McElwain had left this program and, and it you know he got this program to a point where of really really being on the verge of, of spending a lot of years uh down in the lower realms of the SEC um, he took the program downhill in a bad, bad way, and I think what we, we've what we've realized is with the constant improvement, with the steady, with the steadiness that we see now from this coaching staff and from these players buying in, we, we're realizing just how close we were to bad, bad times, and just how fortunate we are to be on this path toward really good times. Yeah, it's a great path, certainly is, friends. All right, friends, so a couple of minutes to go here. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have time to pick these games or not, but we'll give it a shot and see if you'll help me out. I've got my quarterback club buddies uh, who normally pick these games, but they're not available uh, today. It's an off week. And so let's take these games and see if we can, uh, can get uh, – I don't have all the point spread. So let me give you – 
Hang on a second. Here we are. It's, uh, well, the games elude me at this moment in time, but uh, let's just take a couple here. Uh, let's start with uh, Auburn uh, Ole Miss. I believe uh, Auburn is a slight favorite. Who do you like in that game? I like Auburn to win uh, the game. I think Auburn's defense will play well enough, and, uh, and and nobody makes an offense look good like the Ole Miss defense, except for maybe UConn, which has the worst defense in the country. Need me even try to pick this? And I, by the way, I agree. I, I do think uh, I think Auburn will finally will kind of rebound though, a little bit on that game and 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 uh, win. Uh, Alabama and Tennessee. Uh, need we even pick that one? Uh, well, Alabama will cover the spread in the first. And, and, let me put it this way: with ten minutes to go in the first half, Alabama will have already covered the spread. Okay. Now, if I'm on this, let's go over them real fast. Uh, you like? You said you like Auburn. Right. Yes. Okay. Um, I, I've got Auburn uh, 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 and uh, my my partners, uh, Danny um, uh, and Freddie, both got Auburn. All right. So let's go. Uh, let's go. Oklahoma at TCU. Um, TCU is an eight point underdog. Uh, we've got. Uh, I've got uh, Oklahoma here. Danny's got uh, TCU, and Fred's got Oklahoma. Who do you like? Oklahoma and Oklahoma will win this game by at least three touchdowns. Okay, uh, Oregon and Washington State. I took Washington State uh, um, uh, minus three, which is a, a lot, I know, uh, but I, I think they got their offense going. Uh, Danny uh, has, uh, uh, let's see, Danny has picked. Let's see, Oklahoma, TCU, Oregon, Washington. Uh, Danny has a big bet on Oregon. And and Fred is taking Oregon. Who do you like? Wazoo. Okay, a uh, couple more to go with Fran's beard. Uh, Utah State at Wyoming. Wyoming's a fourteen and a half point underdog. Uh, and right now, uh, I've got uh, uh, Washington's. I've got excuse me. I got Wyoming. Uh, Danny has uh, Utah State. And Fred's got Utah State. Who you got? 14 half points of the Utah State. Utah State wins and covers easily. All right. Well, that pretty well covers it. Did I give you Mississippi State LSU? No, I didn't. Mississippi no, State didn't. LSU. No, you didn't. No, I, yeah. like, I, like LSU, I like LSU in this ball game, And I think LSU is going to win handily. Uh, I, I, this, is a, this is a game I've been going back and forth in. Yeah, me, my too. Mind all, me too. Me too. And I, I've never wavered over the thought that LSU would win. It's just been mm-hmm. whether they win a close call or, or win right. comfortably. I think they. I think it's comfortable. Right. Uh, Mississippi Threads got Mississippi State. Uh, Denny's got uh, uh, LSU, and uh, I've got uh, LSU. So there you have it. There's a the pick, Francis. I'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good weekend. Yeah, I, I plan on it. You also. All right, my friend. appreciate that Thank very you. much. All right, Franz Beard. He's the Iron Duke. All right, let's see if we can wrap up the show and get something right for a change here. Uh, we talked earlier in the week to our friend Tony Barnhart and we, about this Florida-Georgia game and uh, about what he thought about it. And uh, I'll see if I can round this baby up and play it for you. Let's see here if I can get it going. I uh, hope this is not the long one. Hold on. Here it is. Tony Barnhart on Florida, Georgia. Uh, what does he call it? I refer to it as the Georgia-Florida game. And then when my Florida fans correct me, I said, excuse me, it's the Florida-Georgia. <laughs> Whichever way the wind blows on that one. Well, it's been a long time since we had one this important. And certainly when we talked over the summer, we didn't see this coming. And it feels mm-hmm. like Georgia has just maybe – settle in to a point, I don't want to say going south, but Florida's definitely going north here, and it's going to be a competitive game. I, I don't think we thought that three weeks ago, Tony. No, no, because Florida had, you know, think about where things stood when, when Kentucky beats Florida, and you're asking all sorts of questions about the Gators. But since that game, they Florida has just, the thing that's impressed me the most about Florida is, they found different ways to win, and Coach Mullen has said a lot about that. You know, the fact that they, you know, did a did a sort of a low-scoring, conservative game against Mississippi State, and then against other teams like Tennessee, they get turnovers and score a bunch of points, which means they can play any style. Uh, and the defense has just made 
incredible strides. So you can tell, you can see Todd Grantham's fingerprints all over that defense. And so I, I, I've got to admit, I've been very impressed with the way, the way Florida's played in the last month or so. Let's take a look at the strengths of both teams. We know the situation for Florida is the running game, naturally. The running game has been the strength of this team. And to have three running backs like that, and P. Ryan especially has been tearing it up. And, and last week, Jordan Scarlett got loose. Uh, this team's mm-hmm. running backs are good, and their wide receivers are very good. And they have a lot of them. I guess the X factor was the quarterback, and it turns out Felipe Franks can play the position, can he? Yes, and because, listen, we, we knew that one of the strengths of Dan Mullen, we've always known, is the ability to develop quarterbacks. And we knew that, you know, Felipe Franks is never going to be a great quarterback, but we knew that Mullen, Dan Mullen, would get the most out of his ability. And I, and I tell you, he's, I've been impressed. He's, he's played under control. He's been good at his decision making. He doesn't, you know, uh, get real loose with the ball anymore. So I've, uh, I, I think uh, Dan Mullen is getting everything out of Felipe Franks' talent that he can. Let's switch over to Georgia. Uh, who knew we'd have a quarterback controversy? I guess we can call it that. A lot of the Bulldog fans think it should be field starting. Uh, and Jay yes, Trump turns out he couldn't. He, he You can't put the weight of the game on his shoulders, at least based on what we saw against LSU. Give me your assessment of those two quarterbacks. Exactly. Well, Jake Fromm is the starting quarterback. Here, here's the guy that was completing 72% of his passes. But Jake Fromm is a much more effective quarterback when Georgia can run the football and Fromm can do the play-action thing. LSU committed to stopping the run. Georgia got 100 yards, 113 yards rushing or something like that. And uh, when Fromm was under pressure, and most of the time when he got back to pass, you could see it out in front of you, there were no receivers open. I thought LSU played a, just a remarkable game. And uh, and the thing about Justin Fields, look, Justin Fields is very, very talent, talented. He was either the number one or the number two high school quarterback in America, uh, along with the kid from Clemson, Trevor Lawrence. And people are, are wanting this guy to play. And, and it always happens, and they want to know why he didn't play that much last week against LSU. The answer, buddy, is that while Justin Fields is very, very talented, he wasn't ready for Tiger Stadium on a late Saturday afternoon. And not, you know what, not many eight Not many quarterbacks are, are, as a matter of fact. <laughs> that's, that's, that's exactly right. And I, I think that Kirby Smart didn't, didn't say this to me, but I know enough people, uh, that was not the answer for that game. Georgia, what Georgia needed to do was run the ball better and throw the ball better and make fewer mistakes. But nobody was going to beat LSU last Saturday. So, you know, you're probably going to see Justin Fields against the Gators. But, again, this is his first Georgia-Florida, Florida-Georgia game. And it is it is a different deal playing in this Yes, game. it is that for sure. Uh, everybody thought the big advantage might be Georgia's offensive line. Uh, and Georgia's running game. Uh, DeAndre Swift is a terrific uh, running back and a receiver. Uh, and certainly, Hellyfield gets that tough smash mouth yardage up there. But it hasn't, it, maybe it was LSU, except Florida rushed for 200 yards on those guys. And you expect Georgia mm-hmm. to do that or more. What happened uh, into the running game? What happened to the offensive line? Georgia's o- offensive line has been banged up. Ben Cleveland, one of the better players, has, has been banged up all season long. And they just simply could not get any kind of any kind of push. The other thing is, I thought Georgia gave up on the run too early. Uh, they they just decided, you know, that we can't run on these guys. They should have, in my opinion, they should have run the ball more. Listen, it, Todd Grantham knows Georgia. He worked there. Yes. He coached. He coached for them. He coached against them. He knows Georgia. He knows that the game plan to beat Georgia is to slow down the run keep Georgia under 150 yards rushing and bet that the quarterback can't beat you. I think that's a, I think that's a good game plan. I'll be surprised if Florida tries to do anything other than that. Well, Georgia knows Todd Grantham, too, and there's been a little bit of bad blood uh, in that relationship over the years. Uh, and this was, since he was at Mississippi State, they didn't play every year. It's the first time back for a while. So will that little uh, rivalry flare up uh, during uh, Florida-Georgia or Georgia-Florida weekends, honey? Uh, well, <laughs> As you know, buddy, Coach Grantham's got a little bit of an edge to him. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it did not. It did not surprise me when I looked up and 
saw the coaches getting into it mm-hmm. at Vanderbilt the other day. Mm-hmm. The tide was not far away. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, you know what? I, I like, I like Coach Grantham. I think he's a very good football coach and, uh, he will, he will be very intense for this game. What exactly happened there? Did, did he give up too many points? Georgia fans didn't like his defense. What, what, what went down there? Uh, at, at the end of the day, I'm, I am not completely sure. Uh, mm-hmm. th- but there was, there was a conflict. He had another. Uh, he had another opportunity and decided to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you know, went to Louisville, and that was uh, that was not the best of experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll let him tell you that story someday. Yeah. And uh, then he got to Mississippi State, which he absolutely loved. Obviously, when Coach Mullen mm-hmm. got the opportunity to come to Flor- come back to Florida, mm-hmm. he was going to come with him. He was. Uh, but let me tell you what. Todd Grantham was a very effective. Uh, defensive coordinator when he was at Georgia. Yeah. All right, Tony Barnhart, uh, second part of the interview I have with him earlier in the week. That's going to wrap it up for Football Friday. You folks have a good, safe weekend. A lot of weddings and things going on this weekend because open date. So uh, have a good time. Thank you, our guest today. Especially enjoyed Mick Hubert's his recollections and reminiscences and his thoughts about this team. Uh, thanks to Gene Frenette. First time he's been on this show. We had to have him talk about the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Of course, Sir Francis Beard himself, the Iron Duke, uh, Tony Barnhart. Appreciate that. And thanks to my buddies uh, Danny um, and Fred for their picks <clears throat> for the awful weekend. Uh, until next Monday night, we won't be seeing you this weekend. Enjoy your time. I'm Buddy Martin, and have a happy football Friday.